Capes and Crooks, a superhero RPG utilizing core 5th edition rules with a unique twist. Take on the role of your own superhero, or villain. Completely customizable origins, powers, and enhancements. Utilize advanced technology to aid in your mission. Join us in Cobalt City and the ultra-modern world of Terra. Dive into the political intrigue and chaos of a world still adjusting to superpowered citizens. In a world where what is right and what is the law often conflict, how will you choose to use your powers and conceal your identity? Capes and Crooks is a complete RPG game with everything you need to create a super experience sure to delight your players. It includes over 300 pages of content with full color illustrations. There will always be good and evil, light and dark. There will always be Capes and Crooks. Now live on Kickstarter, please become a backer today and share with your friends. heroes to the crit academy i am your host justin uh, and i am monty martin uh, from the dungeon dudes jumping in this week as a guest and i am kelly mclaughlin also from the dungeon dudes as a guest this week and i am your co-host austin and i'm your co-host ian yeah and hopefully we can uh bring uh some new fun inspiration on the show thank you so much for having us uh jump in yeah, we're, glad yeah. we're super we're super happy to have you one of our uh, listeners is already happy to see you on here uh, i was really nervous <laughs> <laughs> me too uh because we are fans of dungeon dudes ourselves so this is really exciting uh we want to thank everyone for joining us today especially the dungeon dudes here at crit academy studios uh where everything's made up and your roles don't matter uh that's right your roles don't matter like me taking the lucky feat and forgetting to use it every chance i get <laughs> uh, nice <laughs> my rogue has taken the lucky feet and i have forgotten many times where i'm like oh yeah i could just use this and maybe i won't die this time i always right. feel like with powers like that uh at least me and my experiences people reserve them from that one moment and then forget they got it when they need it yeah so yeah. it's exactly <laughs> like all those healing potions that you stockpile for the final boss and then then don't use them you're saving it and saving it for when you really need it i like me yeah, and scrolls. Out, when you really needed it was several rounds ago <laughs> before sure. you were rolling death saving throws probably yeah probably <laughs> That's Before awesome. your friends were down and unconscious, and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, I could use a healing potion, but I could also just burn one more spell slot. Just one, yeah. one more spell slot. <laughs> um, before we get into our main topic today, I just want to uh, uh, let everyone know that we are super excited. On Tuesday, June 29th, we are launching our Kickstarter, um, Capes and Crooks, uh, a superhero 5e uh, game. All backers will get a full playtest um, version uh, once we're uh, funded. So I'm super excited for that. Um, every episode, we like to start off by giving away fat loots, and today we are giving away the Way of the Druid Compliments of DM Conclave. The most obscure and mystical of character classes, the Druid, has been gifted with many more game options for the ones who treasure, defend, and nurture nature. 
within its pages, you will find five new druid circles that will enrich your experience, three druidic factions, nine new spells to aid you in your way, no less than 48 herbs, and 20 herbalism recipes for the herbalism skill, and so much more. For all you druid fans, this might be for you. Yes, uh, I love these products. Who's our winner today? Our winner today is Tom Burdock. But don't worry if you didn't win, because you can just head over to CritAcademy.com and subscribe to our newsletter to get a chance to win. It's free. It's easy. You just got to do it. And we're yeah. the free stuff. That's it. We always give away <laughs> fat loots. Two things every week, so consider uh, signing up. Now, on to the main topic. I am super excited to talk Dungeons of Drakenheim. With the legendary Dungeon Dudes, Monty and Kelly. Once again, thank you guys so much for joining us today. Thanks for it's having a us. pleasure. Pleasure. For those who don't know, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves? Maybe uh, Kelly, would you like to go first? Yeah, um, so I'm Kelly McLaughlin. I've been playing D&D for, oh man, 10, 11 years now. Uh, Monty probably actually knows better than me. He was my DS <laughs> from the very beginning. And... Um, <laughs> When we worked together at a at a computer shop, uh, Monty just uh, started talking to me. We were talking about pretty casual stuff, and somehow that slipped uh, easily into discussing uh, necromancy, um, <laughs> which is a pretty common thing, right? Uh, to give yeah, some context, a little context bit of a slippery there, slope. <laughs> uh, to give some context, there he pitched the idea of Dungeons and Dragons to me, and I told him that I had been kind of like dabbling with the idea of playing it my whole life i had come from a background of playing warhammer magic the gathering i had done like a session or two of vampire the masquerade uh, with friends back in the day (laughs) yeah um so like i dipped my toes in all of these these awesome things but i never really dove into DD. and so he was pitching it to me and then he was like let me tell you about the schools of magic and i think the next day at lunch he was like hey we have lunch at the same time today we're going to discuss necromancy and that was my selling point, and then I dove into d and I, I have a background in film studies. I've made short films and music videos and things like that. So when we combined all of these elements after playing for a few years, I kind of took the filmmaker in me and the passion I was having for D&D and pitched the idea to Monty to turn on some cameras and see what we could do and Monty brought the encyclopedic knowledge of Dungeons and Dragons and I brought I don't know uh, some charm and love and passion and film expertise <laughs> and uh, we uh, we did what we could and yeah. it's uh, it's gone pretty well and I have to uh, give props for the uh, film background because my degrees in broadcasting I actually work uh, nights at a TV station so yeah Rock yeah on. nice <laughs> Monty yeah, uh, so I'm Monty Martin. I uh, um, am the other half of the Dungeon Dudes, um, and the yeah for for myself, um, as Kelly already said, we we met uh, working together at a computer shop where you know I was the local uh, Dungeons and Dragons dealer, I guess. Amongst <laughs> the staff. Hey, hey, so, hey! Come here. So you want some? We, you want some? Kind of, <laughs> yeah, we so we kind of ended up with a game group that was a bunch of uh, um, really nerdy people, like. The store was a bunch of nerdy people. 
and the nerdy nerdy people all got together to play some D&D and so we kind of had this Sunday night thing where people would come after uh, after we closed up the shop people would come over to my place we'd play some Dungeons and Dragons and we ran a bunch of camp like it we kind of from that that group of people like it was one of the first times for me in my life where it was like, wow, this group of people has finished three campaigns. Um, <laughs> and and so that was a, a pretty cool, cool thing that we had going on. And, and Kelly and I really were enjoying seeing how the group was growing. And so, yeah, we started Dungeon Dudes uh, and started posting videos on YouTube, which did nothing for the better part of a year uh, until people started watching our videos and the it just grew and grew. We started live streaming um, after after about a year of doing content on YouTube. We started our live stream on Twitch, which they, they then also uh, put up on YouTube as well. And that is Dungeons of Drakenheim. So that was a campaign that I ran as Dungeon Master. And now it has kind of blossomed into this whole other thing where we've been streaming now in the world of Drakenheim as the story has grown beyond the original campaign with more characters and players from that original uh, computer shop group uh so so shout out to jill and joe who are our other two players in the campaign that all of us uh that's how we all met was at the at the computer shop and though since then many of us have now gone our gone our own ways from uh from the store but that it's still like a place in our hearts <laughs> <laughs> all right yeah I, I i get that and also you guys been playing D and other rpgs for a while and what would you say your most memorable D oh. moments are that's going to apply to other RPGs as well, of course, but... Oh, man. Um, all right, <laughs> I, I think I think uh, a moment that always stands out to me was in the first campaign that I was playing with uh, with Monty. And uh, for anybody who has watched me in Q&As, uh, you probably know this story, but it's my favorite to tell. Um, my Our buddy Josh um, is... He is the kind of person that will probably always play a barbarian and you expect him to play a barbarian and he <laughs> looks like he should be playing a barbarian. And I was playing a wizard and the two of us were just, we were like, I don't know, we were two sides of a coin or I don't know, some other expression that is probably better. Um, but we, we got along really well at the table. It was kind of funny to have the smart wizard and the raging barbarian always side by side. <laughs> Um, and there was a time where we were going up against our first dragon, and it was the first mm. dragon that we ever fought. And I had just learned the spell Polymorph as um, as my wizard, and so I, I remember that we uh, we saw the dragon coming in, and I decided to try out the new spell, and I polymorphed myself into a T Rex. And Josh's character, um, so his name's Josh Elderbroom, and his character's name was Elderbroom the Barbarian, because that's all he needs to do. Um, and he climbed <laughs> up onto the T, like I transformed into a T-Rex, he climbed up onto the T-Rex and rode me into battle against a dragon, and we had this like awesome epic battle. Um, and actually, it's funny that I feel like I didn't do as much as Josh did in that battle because he ended up jumping onto the dragon, which soared into the air, threw him onto the ground, breathed fire on him and only him, and then tried to hold him underwater to drown him. And he still got up and cut its head off. Um, <laughs> that sounds like, like a barbarian. <laughs> yeah. The whole battle was so cool. And it was like, I think a lot of, for me and Josh at least, it was our first time that we had ever felt that level 
of epicness from a game. And I say this all the time that there were some minis on a table, but I never remember the minis. I remember mm-hmm. a visual in my head that's like an amazing action movie. And the way that it plays out in my head is just so incredible. And that was that was when I was 100% sold that D&D was the greatest thing in my life. Mm. Um, one of the greatest things in my life. I, <laughs> I say, you better be careful yeah. of that. Yeah. 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 Nice save. <laughs> that is an epic story. What about that is you, really Monty? good, yeah. Um, so for me, um, I've mostly run Dungeons and Dragons. Um, I have never been able, like, I very rarely had the opportunity to play as a player. And in fact, I've, I've, I'm one of those people that I vastly prefer DMing. And so I think that a lot of Dungeon Masters have that memorable moment where, uh, the, one of the first times when their players are like, I had an amazing time last night at the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, one of the the bigger the bigger memorable moments was I um, was running the Red Hand of Doom with Kelly and our group, um, which is a legendary adventure um, and one of my, my one of my favorites of all time. But what I had done for this campaign specifically, uh, for those that don't know, it, it involves an army of hobgoblins invading a quaint you know, rural veil and the army of hobgoblins over the course of the adventure marches along a road and burns the town till they towns till they get to the capital and you have a great siege. Well, what I had done earlier in the adventure is um, we did a level one to five preamble to that campaign where the players were getting married, where the the players were the wedding party (laughs) of one of the players was getting married and they had to go and visit all the towns in the Elser Vale and um, get a wedding present and, or pick up the prize wedding horse. And so the, for over the course of like a three months, we played this part of the campaign where um, they got to know everything in this world and they got to meet the people and the struggles and become local heroes. And then of course they then cut to a year later when the players are looking at the map of the Elser Vale and realizing that this town that they love is going to get burned down and other people that they care about are going to die. Um, and they have to make an awful choice and they were stressed. And my players came to me after the game and said, guys, this was really real. This was really stressful. It wasn't fun. It was, it was palpably real and for me that was a memorable moment because it was this moment of realization where i realized that oftentimes role-playing games are thought of as a fun escape but Mm -hmm. they actually have a substantially more power and they can make us channel other emotions they can make us feel stress they can make us feel fear they can make us feel anger and experience those ways in if when you are playing with a group of people that you love and trust you can experience things that you couldn't experience in real life and sometimes it's not always the fun and epic things yeah Uh, sometimes it's the hard and difficult things and so for me that that's always is such a powerful memory of realizing that like this is a really powerful game it's not just that it can be fun which is amazing but you Mm. like it it for me, it was the, this present reminder of like, wow, we can tell serious stories. We can tell real stories. We can do things. Uh, and coming from the world of theater, um, where which is my background, where so many actors and performers and writers and directors, you know, it's it, it, people love making audiences laugh, but making audiences feel something that is more than just a fart joke is pretty hard making people think about things is uh and so for me that was the moment where it was wow a D campaign can be a form of art 
it can be a for like something that is far more than just pretending to be an elf yeah. Uh, and so that that's why it strikes out as, as such a, an interesting memory. It doesn't have to be. And if your game is not, if if you're if if anyone's game is um, just, you know, a relaxing time where you're knocking back a couple cold ones, eating some pretzels and rolling some dice and, you know, laughing at toilet humor. That's amazing. And that's the, and I think that's the amazing power of a ro- of role playing games is that they can be anything along this massive spectrum from. Uh, just kicking back with friends to telling some really amazing stories. Absolutely, that's um, a I, that's awesome. <laughs> I just want to say that I <clears throat> I forever will be referring to D and D as an art form now because well, I mean, it kind you of just is. you yeah. just laid it all out of why exactly it is. So I want to thank you for that. Yeah, that's thanks. For sure. It's uh, that, that was awesome. <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, so, Moving on to something maybe a little less serious, <laughs> grand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, what is the best piece of gaming advice you've ever received? Whether it's from a book, a person, uh, a video, because I know there's a lot of inspiration out there. It's kind of tough to, oh, yeah. to nail oh, on for one. sure. Oh boy, see a lot of a lot of the advice I've gotten came from Monty. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a great that's, source of inspiration I mean, that's fair <laughs> he taught me how to play um but i i feel like one of the biggest struggles i had as a dm and i'm, I'm not going to remember exactly where the advice came from but i also feel like many many sources say this but i want to echo it because it's so important i was struggling as a first-time dm and i was constantly disappointed in my dming uh, because the players kept ruining my plans, and <laughs> and this was the hard lesson that um the best piece of advice I ever got was to make scenarios, not stories, as a dungeon master, and I I constantly was like trying to orchestrate epic battles, and it was like the players will walk into this room, there'll be a dialogue between them and the villain, then they'll fight, and then the villain will flee to this other room while they fight, and like I have it all mapped out, and then of course it goes nothing like that, and I get frustrated. And so in my first year of being a DM, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Why can't I make this work the way that I'm imagining it to? Like, isn't that my job as a DM? And the answer is, it's it's not. Your right. job as a DM is actually to let go of the reins and understand the scenario that you're putting the players in. And by understanding the scenario, so rather than what room in the dungeon will have what thing happen, it's who's in the dungeon and why. And then once you have that, you just let the players go in and do whatever they're going to do. And it becomes so much more fun when you do that. Because once you let go of the reins, you actually start role-playing with your players. You start improving with your players. Your players throw wacky ideas out there. And rather than going, oh, that's not at all what I had written down, you go, oh, that sounds great. Let's see what happens. And <laughs> once I did that, I became so much more confident as a dungeon master. My games were more fun. Uh, my players continuously were congratulating me on running an excellent game. And I feel like I feel like the problem of most new DMs is trying to do too much planning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That was a mistake that I made early on in myself where uh, I started uh, in some of the earlier editions, but I really got into it in fourth edition where I, and I, that laid a lot of the stuff out very dungeon crawly so i would always find myself frustrated when somebody wanted to go left to the west 
when I clearly pointed out the pillar of smoke in the east. And that started to build frustration in me. So I totally understand. And the way you described it as setting scenes is absolutely, in my opinion, one of the best ways to do it. Because you're not saying this is going to happen. It's this Mm -hmm. is kind of what's going on. Let's the players decide what's going to happen, and mm-hmm. um, you you said that eloquently. So thank yeah. you for that one. Thank you. Or even in combat, as I mentioned just the other week, I'm running Princess of the Apocalypse. The players encounter a dragon turtle, and after a very strong opening move with his breath weapon, they immediately hit with polymorph, turn it into a to like a regular turtle, and then chucked it into <laughs> a ten foot wide tunnel and turned the polymorph. And keep in mind, dragon turtles take up a 20 foot by 20 foot area, so... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Oof>. <laughs> uh, Monty? Yeah, yeah. You know, I think for me, the... I, I've spent so much time, like, reading, you know, blogs and, and uh, watching other people's videos and watching other people's advice and, and watching other people play and listening to talks and, and, and all of these sort of um, things. And, and I, I think that like for me, um, the, the best sort of the really eloquent place where I think that this advice kind of manifests is in the, in the introduction to Xanathar's Guide to Everything, um, and it's a really easy thing to miss, um, it, but in, in the intro there, um, one of the things is that uh, the, the book kind of says, you know, the, the Dungeon Master is the final authority on how the rules work in play. Um, but what... One of the things that, and everybody knows that, like the DM, you know, you can throw out the rules at at at, at any at any moment. But one of the things that the that if you read the rest of this that that paragraph is the rules are a tool. Um, and so I, for me, that was a revelatory thing of like, if you think of if we go on this extension of D and D as an art form. The rules are the medium by which we create the and words and language are the medium by which we create that art. So the rules of D and D are the same as your paints and paintbrushes, and so you would never tell a painter, "Oh, just throw your paints out anytime you want," right? That's yes. Oh my god, yeah. yes. Right, or just. Now, the thing is, is that painters have done amazing things with art. They have done things where, yes, they did throw their brushes out and they just threw the pot of paint at the at the canvas. And now that's a $20 million piece of art. But (laughs) not everybody's but not everybody is Jackson Pollock. Um, And so you have to remember that. And there's reasons why that it, that is done that way. Not everybody is necessarily Picasso who can break the rules of composition. But Kelly, mm-hmm. in fact, actually said said this is that Kelly got this from film school, where one of his film school teachers said, "We teach you the rules so you can learn how to break them properly." Mm-hmm. And nice. so, if if Dungeons and Dragons is a medium, if it's an art form, then it's then an art form has its tools of composition. And so I think that understanding the way the rules work and knowing that the rules aren't there to be a straitjacket for you. They're not there to restrict you. They are there in the same way that a paintbrush or a musical instrument is there. And you can do anything with a paintbrush. But 
there's certain things that there's techniques to using a paintbrush. Mm -hmm. There are techniques and strategies to do things like dry brushing or layering or different or watercolor. And actually learning how those things work is empowering for you as the dungeon master, because once you know how they work, as Kelly said, you can break them and you can break them properly and actually break them in the way that they, when you break them, you get the outcome from breaking it that you want. Because I think one of the things that we, we talk when, when people say I'm tossing out the rule book, a lot of people forget the, the, the lot, the story that doesn't get told is the time I tossed the rules out and it blew up in my face because right. that does happen where dungeon masters make people make bad rulings. Sometimes people yes. ignore the rules and it actually wasn't a good idea to do it. Um, and so having that little bit of thought about when it is and when it isn't, that to me is, is that's something that comes from experience, but that is part of the artistry of, of running a game. Mm -hmm. I really guys... like the idea that you, the rules are much like a tool rather than a strange idea. That's a very good, uh, I don't want to say analogy. analogy. Is that an analogy? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's a good way to put smart, it. So. I like that a lot. <laughs> that's yeah, that's really, what I'm going to take away with that. that and it goes good. and it goes hand in hand with talking about it being you know art and all that stuff. And mm -hmm. I think you, I think you touch on something that is really important. There is some DMs and people don't talk about their failures. Um, and honestly, I've only improved because I failed so much as a DM. <laughs> like there, I every time I make a huge failure. I learn more from that than I ever do mm -hmm. just getting a, Hey, you did a good job. Well, no, I want mm -hmm. you to tell me what I did wrong now so I can do better next time. And yeah. that really, and sometimes it blows up in your face, but sometimes it is magic. Kind of what you were saying. And yeah. I think, I think all of our, I feel like, and this is just Justin's opinion and Justin is some no guy with a podcast, but I think that some of the best successes in the world, D and D or not, come from people who have failed a lot i think the most notable one is was a um uh, thomas edison you know he was said well, why do you keep making a light bulb you've you've failed a thousand times well a thousand times i learned a thousand ways not to build a light bulb i didn't fail i just learned from each one and that's kind of how i think dming is and even being a player too because not all players are perfect either mm -hmm. right and so if you're willing to take your failures and it, say okay this clearly wasn't fun for everybody else um, what can I do differently to make it fun for everybody else? How can how can I have done that differently? So. I was just going to say, you need to have the experience of what happens when you actually put the deck of many things in your campaign to actually <laughs> <Yes>. learn why. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes. There's a reason why it's a campaign breaker, right? Yeah. Um, all right. So now I, I know we, I, I always love the interview part because we learn a lot of stories and we all love D&D, but oh, – yeah. I want you to tell us what you can about the the world of Drakenheim and your new Kickstarter, Dungeons of Drakenheim, that launches. Is that tomorrow? Yeah, yeah tomorrow. that's tomorrow. The the anxiety is building. Oh man! Uh, yes. Oh, I bet. It's our first this, is our, one. this is our first Kickstarter. We're we, it's really exciting and. Um, yeah, it, it's kind of like the the pregame anxiety is building up now. <laughs> yeah, I saw I your uh, your 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 little sign up. It's got the little numbers of people who are following it, and that t seems to suggest you guys are off to a pretty damn good start. 
Well, so, we will see. I hope so. Um, yeah, so Drakenheim, uh, Dungeons of Drakenheim is a complete 5th edition campaign uh, for characters level 1 to 13 that is built on the, that is uh, based on the first season of our live stream campaign that we ran from 2018 to 2019. And Drakenheim is a non-linear adventure where your characters explore the ruins of the city of the city of Drakenheim, which was uh, devastated by falling stars 15 years prior, and is now a contaminated wasteland of wild magic and eldritch contamination, fought over by five rival factions, each with their own competing goals of what they want to do with the with the city and what they want to do with the magical crystals that are now found throughout it uh monty and i are huge fans of uh cosmic horror and uh dark fantasy so you're gonna see a lot of those elements tucked away in here there's a lot of nods to to some of our favorite like classic uh tales of like hp lovecraft and things like that um where we just tried to bring that to Dungeons and Dragons in a really impactful way. Mm. And along the way, we made some new monsters and some new magic items and new spells that are all kind of feeding into the cosmic horror atmosphere of Drakenheim. Um, well, I, or, or you know, the the other secret is is that it's it's the dark fantasy Fallout New Vegas by way of HP Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> um and so we we have a lot of inspiration there of like the the uh, you know getting inspired when we were driving drawing up the campaign of like the the exploration of open world games but the interesting conflicts and outcomes that come in games like the, the fallout series that we we really really love um and wanting to realize that in sort of a a, a role-playing game sort of environment mm-hmm. um and play around with with uh, some of our meta rules and um really play with some fun cool elements of of the world itself but also make an interesting non-linear exploration based campaign um one of the most important elements of the ruins of drakenheim is that the eldritch contamination left in place has caused a mist called the haze to settle over the entire city such that characters cannot take long rests in the ruins so i love you, you. that is that is single-handedly one of my favorite things right now because that ups the challenge difficulty Mm -hmm. to a new level i love it sorry that got me really excited no that's something that we uh we were very particular about is um like monty monty's a good enough dm that in my experience fifth edition hasn't been easy mode but i hear online that a lot of people say like it's hard to die in fifth edition and people (laughs) will do this thing where they will like do a battle take a long rest do a battle take a long rest but Mm -hmm. simply by adding in the haze what we've done is we've kind of added that sort of barrier that says you need to plan you need to equip yourself you need to figure out where you're going and how you're going to get back home and then you each adventure into the city is dangerous and poses a threat so you have to manage your resources in a way that i think a lot of campaigns don't have you do that is uh that reminds me of uh in uh destiny there's an area where you die you die and that very much reminds me of that where you almost get nervous going in and i am i envision myself going into this situation but i feel like does the warlock get to shine here does short rest still apply? 
Yep, you can still take short rests. Um, cool. And and we're actually very explicit in saying um, we in the in the rules of like you can't get around this with a tiny hut. You can't get around <laughs> this with a rope trick. You know, there there's uh, there we the way that we've worded uh, our contamination rules is we're very explicitly saying that unless the game mechanic specifically engages with contamination, it doesn't work. So the contamination that happens in the city that can in- afflict upon your character you can't cure it with things that remove diseases or curses or dispel magic it is a new thing that has come from somewhere out there in the void Uh, so the magic that exists in the world doesn't know how yet to fully deal with it but over the course of the campaign the characters can the, the characters can invent new spells and invent new magic items to protect them as they delve deeper and deeper into the ruins and get messed up with all the factions that are fighting over things. I assume. Oh, wow. So I assume in your book there's there's rules that will handle. There'll be rules that handle kind of that crafting crafting aspect. It's really lightweight. Um, okay. So we we're we have really lightweight rules that basically say you know if you discover this wizard's research and you go to this location here's the downtime activity for you to to brew up these new potions that that will protect you um we found especially like in early drafts of the 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 work and and things like this we we wanted to come up with like really complicated urban exploration rules and we found that that bogs so much down like we really like to just have it focus on get everyone get you back into the city get you adventuring um and let the downtime just be downtime um maybe that's something we'll explore more in the future but it ended up that so much of the of what we've written for the book is the amazing places that you can explore in the city itself um and so this is very much an adventure with cool locations from ruined cathedrals mage towers sewers castles contaminated gardens and all that good stuff so and what's fun about that is that it's modular too so even if you're not running the entire campaign the dungeons are really easy to just rip right out and use somewhere just else use yeah um so we we kind of already touched on it a little bit then, uh already with like the the haze and uh you said i believe you said there was a couple extra classes in there i don't quite recall i know you said there was new spells but um do you have any uh like I guess other special homebrew rules, uh, classes, or maybe even races, because I don't think you guys touched on that, but maybe there are, and I we just don't know yet. Uh, from Drakenheim that you are uh, willing to share with us. Uh, we we aren't doing as many player focused options in this book. We do have a section for players, but this okay. is a uh, campaign book first we might explore player options at a later time in another book if this one does well um but we did include four players there are um, a bunch of backgrounds that tie your character into the world of drakenheim and we very purposely made the backgrounds have um what i'm going to call slightly slightly improved features because you'll notice like in backgrounds a lot of times the feature is like I'm like the entertainer it's like you can perform when you go to a town and like you have to you're like okay that doesn't do that much but it might Mm -hmm. if the dm wants Mm. to play with that um our features what are the the personal quests kelly well yeah i'm gonna get to that i'm gonna get to that uh but we we tried to give the backgrounds some cool features that feel like they actually have some meat and make you make the backgrounds come alive and make that choice matter uh we also introduced uh 12 personal quests uh these kind of are expanded 
bonds. So you get your personality traits, bonds, flaws, and ideals. But then you get a special personal quest that you choose that is very specific in the idea that now your character is tied to what I'm going to say the meat of the adventure is. So your personal quest might be something simple like you need to find a cure for contamination because a family member has fallen ill and is going to turn into a horrible monster if you don't cure it. So the purpose of your personal quest is now you have a reason to not only go to a horrible place like Drakenheim, (laughs) but you have a reason to stay there and not leave until you succeed at figuring out what, what's going to solve your, your own personal problems. And in doing so, we've made sure that each personal quest is definitely going to get you tangled with the factions. So even by the time you finish your personal quest, you're like, well, now the fate of Drakenheim is in my hands as well. So I guess I got to figure that out. Uh, so that's, that's what the personal quests are there for is to really make uh, your player characters uh, feel like they're part of the adventure and that their choices that they made at character creation are going to be important and the narrative is about them. And what's more is that when you do finish your personal quest, which unlike uh, we, we very intentionally designed the personal quests that they can be completed before the conclusion of the campaign, because when you finish your personal quest, you can get a, an extra feat or an extra ability score increase to reflect your character's accomplishment uh, above and beyond just their, their basic quests. So that is, that is kind of our way of giving the players an, an individual objective at the outset of the campaign that really ties them. And we also give a framework for the dungeon master to build a custom personal quest. So if the players look at the 12 personal quests and like, I don't really like any of these we've got the guidelines in there for you to work with your DM to homebrew your own. I really love that because there's, that's something that isn't constantly encouraged um, for the players to come up with like goals and long-term, you know, goals and short-term goals. And the fact that that's included in there as a reminder and you provide examples and tools that they can do is phenomenal because that takes that little tip of, Hey, um, when you're building your characters, do this to here's something functional and I'm giving it to you. So if you weren't planning on doing it, yeah. now you are, which is yeah. something it's usually left optional. But by imposing it that you now as a DM have things to pull and the player feels like they have goals to achieve, whether they really intended to or not, which I think is fantastic. It's also really surprising to me that that is somehow not in Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> Right. In all honesty, like it's, the, what? It's something <laughs> that this? we've been doing for years, actually, which is why it made it into the book. Is every time that I sat Just... down to build a character, Monty would be like, "All right, let's uh, have a big discussion about how we're going to tie your character into the world. What does your character want?" And that was always a very important part of character creation for me. So. I just, when we were like, we need to put the way that we create characters as a DM and a player into the book in a mechanical way. And that was actually a lot of fun to figure out what that mechanic was going to look like. Because for Monty and I, it's just a conversation that goes back mm-hmm. and forth for like a month. Mm-hmm. And then when we get to the campaign, it's like, like I'll present a backstory and Monty will be like, this NPC that you have in your backstory, can we switch it to this? And what he's doing is he's saying, okay, you created an NPC, but if we actually just change it two percent now it's an nbc that i already have in my campaign and now you're tied into that um and so by 
inventing the personal quests were basically saying we're doing the work for you you don't have to have that full i mean you should still have a discussion between the players and the dms but now there's Mm -hmm. the tools to just be like okay you're tied to an npc you're tied to a faction you're planning to kill one of the factions or you're trying to find one of the great treasures of drakenheim and yeah you're gonna get into it and you're gonna end up in the thick of things whether you like it or not that love it that should just be a dm tip like actually (laughs) that's that's really good it's fun because it's connected to the map as well so like many of the personal quests reference when you put down the map of the city players can see oh these are the landmarks that, that are there and they'll see their personal quest be like if your personal quest is to get to the kleinberg estate and raid the vault there well, you're going to look at the map and be like, oh, that's where it is in the city? Well, how do we get there? And already you realize that there's more pro- like more challenges along the way. Right. So it really helps the Dungeon Master as well give the players motivations and plot hooks. Because um, one of the things that we that we realize with, with Drakenheim in, in many ways is that you really do have to answer the question, why is your character going here? Because we kind of went with this mantra of... A person who's not willing to risk their life for something does not come here. Right. Mm-hmm. That means you got to have a strong motive. And yeah. I, I like that. That's something that there's constantly on their mind. So, yeah. um, so uh, we're running over on time. So, first of all, <laughs> that's fine. I am. I'm honestly. Is you've got a backer in me now. I uh, you. I'm sold. Awesome. And at least that's, one of our awesome. followers is sold because he's just saying, well, now I got two things I got to back this week. So, <laughs> so uh, first of all, I am super excited for this. I can't wait to see everything that you guys got going on. Um, this clearly is the uh, has a heart and soul attached to it. And I'm Absolutely. super excited to see how it goes. Honestly, I expect it to go pretty good for you guys i mean you got a Thank pretty you. decent following and the content just is sounds amazing uh, yeah, watching it really through your, does. watching through your 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 actual play show i can tell that it's very well fleshed out and there's a lot going on and i'm really really excited for it um do you guys have any last comments uh, on that before we we move on to the next segment well, th- thank you for checking for for bringing us on, and, and we're so glad that uh, we we've uh, made the sale. <laughs> yeah, it's live tomorrow, so for everybody yep. who's who's watching this, uh, check it out tomorrow on Kickstarter. And if you back it in the first forty eight hours and get a physical copy, you get a special uh, Drakenheim coin, the Golden Gilder. Uh, which is for backers who back in the first forty eight hours. So you can get a collectible coin if you back. I- I like that collectibles. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <down>. Wait. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So uh, um, if you're following along, uh, the we'll drop the the link in the uh, comments again, or you can find a link in our blog at Um With that, and now what you've all been waiting for, our unearth tips and tricks segment, where we bring you new and reusable material for both players and DMs. For our Unearth Tips and Tricks, uh, our wonderful guests here have brought us a character for our character concept of the podcast. Ooh, yeah. So uh, I put together a character concept uh, that you could actually play in Drakenheim if you wanted to. <laughs> um, this uh, this 
this character is uh, named Skunder Brand, uh, and I've kind of made it that you could play. At, most people, adventurers in Drakenheim are human, but you can you can go anywhere you want with it. When the meteor first struck Drakenheim, um, as Drakenheim was the capital city uh, of of the kingdom several military expeditions were put together to try to invade the ruins and take it back, all of which failed. Skunder Brand is a survivor of one of these failed expeditions and had to watch his uh, close comrades-in-arms transform into hideous monsters in, in these failed attacks. And so in the years since, he sought the means to restore the form of his... Uh, former compatriots um and was duped into becoming a warlock uh, of a fiendish entity who lied to him saying that this the this entity would have the means to reverse it uh but couldn't but did not and so uh now uh skunderbrand's personality is that he is a bargainer who will always mortgage the future to survive one more day they make promises that they have difficulty keeping which is a very big challenge as, as having a warlock patron and they are chasing their past and stumbling onto their future uh making uh and they are obsessed with their old mistakes but they keep making new ones they are um they are a gaunt person they might have once been a uh, uh an athletic soldier in their youth, but now they're in their early former forties and time has not been kind to them. They wear a dark shawl with traveling gear, a heavy coat and a broad hat. And they carry, and they, they wear these to conceal the scars of the eldritch mutations that they once developed during the failed attack. And their patron cured these mutations, but when they incur the wrath of their patron, the patron um, undoes the magic that holds back the mutations and threatens them with uh for with uh being further cursed uh and so that is their their motivation now is to hopefully wriggle out of their pact but also still to resolve the mistakes that they've made along the way dude i totally want to use this guy as a quest giver hey i need you to go get this thing so i can undo this pact go go i'm go. actually mildly curious but, what he may have packed with yeah i was gonna say uh uh did you did you have an idea of what creature he made a pact with? We uh, the world of Drakenheim is uh, inhabited by many fiendish entities, some of which who claim to be gods in their own right, uh, and this entity is one known as He Who Laughs Last. <laughs> oh, 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 I love it! It's so always a good thing to have a pact with, I must say. <laughs> so does this 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 character's moral alignment where does that fall would you I, say i think that this is one of the, those those people who struggles because they always they often believe they're doing the right thing but are always making mistakes right. um so their their heart might be in the right place um but they this is someone that probably doesn't have a very high wisdom score they don't have they they don't have the right sense of judgment to really understand that the that to like see oh if i do this it's going to come back to bite me <laughs> fair love it that once again i see this as a quest giver hiring the the players to to find an item and then not revealing to them that that item causes some sort of damage to somebody else or the area around because he wants to break this curse so badly 
while he might feel bad about doing this thing to, that might hurt other people, he's suffering so bad. He just wants to he'll do whatever to get away mm-hmm. from it. At least that's kind of what I'm envisioning. And I think that that'll make for I, I love moral ambiguity. You talked about art and and that sort of stuff. And moral ambiguity is one of the things that I absolutely love. And I can see this being a good hearted person willing to go beyond what they would normally do to end their suffering. So yeah. I think this is a fantastic character concept. Did you want to say something, Kelly? Oh, no, I just, uh, I mean, Monty nailed it there. Uh, yeah. I, I think warlocks in Drakenheim are a really fun concept. I mean, like, there's there's room for every class, but I think uh, you really get to play mm. with uh, your pact, and I don't know, it's pretty messy in the world of Drakenheim. It's a dark and right. scary place, and the things you might do for your patron I mean, we have Joe playing a warlock in our campaign right now, and him and his patron, his patron is a fan favorite. So <laughs> That's awesome. I think one of the best patrons I ever homebrewed was when I based off the Great Old One, but I basically made the patron a very evil, eldritch version of Barney the Dinosaur. Nice. <laughs> and I basically played with Tasha's hideous laughter as saying the song that they always do at the end of the show. <laughs> All right. Um, that'll do it for our character concept, the Skunder Brand. Thank you for that there, Monty. Uh, oh, yeah. Today's monster variant is the Kasmakula. Um, I forgot what that means. I put a word in a, 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 a Sanskrit and it, that's what came out and I forgot what it was. But I'm super excited for this monster. Um, in order to build this monster, you're going to start with something simple. You're going to start with the Winter Wolf. This little armor, almost like a giant armadillo kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, very nasty looking. Um, but you're going to have to get rid of some features. We're going to give something new in its place to make it a little more different so it's going to lose its community uh immunity to cold instead it's going to have immunity to psychic damage you're going to get rid of its cold breath and it can no longer speak languages or understand languages specifically i think it doesn't speak um and you're going to lower its intelligence to make it more of a dumb creature something like a uh, six or something now where it gets interesting is we're changing the cold breath to a, a confusion breath. It's going to exhale a discombobulating gas in a 15-foot cone, and each creature in that area must succeed a DC 13 wisdom saving throw on a failed save. The target can't take reactions and must roll a D4 at the start of each of its turns, determined its behavior uh, on that turn. This yep. goes from 1 to 4, so you're going to roll a 1, and it's random movement in a random direction, roll a D8, and they just run around aimlessly. Uh, on a 2, they do, uh, the creature doesn't move or act complete, uh, or take any actions, completely shuts down. Um, or a 3, the creature uses its action to make a melee attack against a randomly determined creature within reach. Um, if there are no creatures within, it does nothing. Another potential loss of action. Or, number 4, it, racks, uh, it acts randomly. I love this little armadillo-looking bastard. I think it's a lot of fun. And Confusion Breath recharges on a 6, so they can't use it all the time. But this will catch your players by surprise and leave mm. them surely confused, I promise. What do you guys think about this? I like it. I I, I, I love it. Uh, I'm a big fan of abilities like this, too. Uh, I love uh, when you have a rider where the save is failed by five or more. And yes. I, I could see making a either a bigger or more uh, more advanced version of, of this one that uh, even maybe has the, the breath um, do a little bit of psychic damage. Uh, uh, if the f- saving throw is failed by five or more to really hammer home that like that this that this is like frying your mind right uh, roll on the madness table 
Yeah. yeah. Yes, if you fail by five or more, yes. madness table. Madness yeah. table. I like you, you described it as an armadillo, right? Like a big armadillo. Yeah. I, I like I like the idea of this psychic armadillo that's just like belching <laughs> psychic energy into your face and you're like, I don't know what's going on anymore. This thing breathed on me and I messed up. Um it's it's a really fun concept. Uh armadillos are I, I, I think armadillos are such a fun creature and we don't see enough of them. So I, I like this concept. I think it's cool. Yeah, I can't. I can't wait to release it to my patrons. You guys are gonna love the artwork and the story and everything that goes with it. And I'm totally adding. Monty just suggested, so you're welcome. You're welcome. I got you. Thank you. <laughs> nice. Um, Get more lethal. Because that's a really good idea. I like that a lot. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for our monster variant, the Casa Makula. That might be. I think that's like uh, psionic or something or, or something mental in in Sanskrit. Anyway, our encounter is the Vault of souls and it's a skill challenge for all you fourth edition fans out there yay skill the vault of souls a massive ancient city filled with a variety of spirits and undead creatures the city was besieged by a necromancer named Dizad the defiler and his undead army an adventurer by the name of isar the wise an archmaid has no choice but to banish the entire city into a dummy plane to rid the area of the undead plague the city is slowly one way to go to... about it. Yeah. The city is slowly beginning to phase back into the world, as well as the undead play that comes along with it. The characters gotta dig through some ruins to discover the entrance to um, Isar's Lost Tower. And once inside, they must recover the keys to the ritual spell materials needed to push it back into its dummy plane where it belongs, as in not here. If they don't, <laughs> the undead scourge will fully retreat to the realm. And after they locate the tower's location, they must find a way to get inside and convince the guardian to let them search its lure. Ooh, what do you guys think about this? Uh, I I really like the idea. Uh, it's such a cool concept to have this uh, this place that's like drifted into a demi plane and it's like leaking back and bringing all sorts of bad stuff with it. It it really is like that. Even if you don't have a doom clock mechanic. <laughs> It feels like there's a clock ticking, like this is going mm -hmm. to destroy everything if it comes back in here. We need to push it back. And I always love that, uh, the intensity of feeling like there's a time limit, even if you don't have one. I, I don't know if you guys are ever playing a video game and like, they're like, you have to get out of here quickly. And you realize after you're like sweating and rushing that you're like, there's no clock counting down anywhere. I'm just playing a story, but I still feel intense because mm -hmm. I know that something's horrible could happen if i waste my time and i think that this advertises that really well it really is like oh it's coming back we need to get in there and push it back into its demi plane uh which which makes there be an agency to to it so i like that yes absolutely yeah, i think one of the best examples i've seen of them like making it look like it's a doom clock but isn't was in the prince of persia game that came out from the ps2 we like jumping from yeah. stalactite to stalactite when you jump on them they start shaking you see like oh crap to the next one but then I looked away for a moment when somebody asked me a question as I was hopping. Or like back, like, wait, it's still shaking. I just stood there for about 30 seconds. It's not falling. <laughs> then I jumped the next yeah. and then it fell. It's like, you jerks. <laughs> yeah, it's it's always that intensity. But sometimes sometimes uh, they'll just kind of throw that in to make you feel like you need to hurry. Um, right. But I, I, I like the, the need to hurry. I feel like that's a good mechanic. Yep. Mm -hmm. It's like giving you a timer without actually seeing the timer. Yeah, because you know that you're going to 
well, you will likely die. I wouldn't say you will die, but likely. <laughs> it's in this case, you will. Or the, but, the city uh, will. Or anybody yeah, around, I guess. It, it gives like a, a large sense of importance while uh, while you're doing this, I guess, is the, mm-hmm. the best way to put it. And the fact that this is a series of skill challenges kind of builds in a timer, whether you mm-hmm. actually have one in front of you or not. Yep. Um, if you guys don't know, skill challenges are one of my favorite things. I love them. They're a great way to narrate powers and features and things that happen over long periods of time. Um, there's rules for that in the show notes on the website if you want to get all the details for that. Monty, did you have anything you wanted to add? or? I think the, the biggest thing that I like to do in when adapting skill challenges to 5th edition is I like to allow characters to cast spells to get automatic mm-hmm. successes. Yes. And so this seems like a really good one where you could use spells like Magic Circle, Mm -hmm. Dispel Magic, Banishment, uh, or other Abjuration spells to grant you automatic successes. Uh, And then if you paired this one with a combat encounter, so your choice of using spell slots would really matter. (laughs) Oh, I love it. That's uh, one thing we talk about a lot because we wrote our one of our projects was two of them was challenge accepted, which is all about skill challenges. And one thing that we always tried to reinforce is skill challenges are malleable. If your player comes up with a power or a feature or something that will let them just succeed, let them use it. They're consuming a resource for that success and Mm -hmm. that you want them to succeed. You want them to think of ways to overcome these challenges. So um, Mm -hmm. I, I, I love the way you think, Monty. (laughs) um i think that'll do it for our encounter of the podcast before we move on to our magic item let's take a moment to to give a word from our sponsors me (laughs) so we have recently released our memorable monsters if you do not know what memorable monsters this was our first kickstarter it is 50 fully fleshed out monsters with bonds flaws personalities ways you can use them from villain merchant ally you know quest giver whatever they have uh current and long-term motives and this is just a absolutely powerful guide they can be villains they can be heroes they can you know they can just be the random NPC if you want somebody that's interesting. They got fully fleshed back out brown store background stories and everything. Um, and we absolutely love it. Oh, look, he's joining us too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so definitely consider checking it out at CritAcademy.com. We're super excited because it's our first hardcover. That's why we're doing another a new project. Awesome. Anyway, so I, I forgot. Like... Apparently, I forgot to do that. That just showed up in the middle because I forgot <laughs> to do it earlier. So uh, uh, would you like to tell us about our magic item today, Austin? Yes. So our magic item today is, I love magic items, the Mecha Armor from Calder's Gazetteer. Now, it's armor, it's plate armor, because, of course, uh, it's legendary and requires attunement. So, this massive suit of heavy armor features thick steel plating covering complex arcane mechanisms that aid the wearer's power and mobility. The armor fully encases the wearer, giving them the appearance of a construct. While wearing the armor, you gain the following benefits, which, by the way, there is a list. Uh, resistance to bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage from non-magical weapons that are not adamantine, because you're wearing a giant mech suit. Uh, you have advantage on strength and constitution saving throws. Your movement speed increases by 10. Uh, your melee attacks deal one additional damage die. Your standing jump and long jump distances double. You count is one size larger when determining your carrying capacity and the weights you can push, drag, or lift. You can wield two-handed weapons using one hand. Very fun. And you can take no damage from falling fewer than 60 feet. However, this is not without detriment. 
You are cursed. <laughs> <laughs> when you roll a one on an ability check, attack roll, or saving throw, the armor's arcane energy diminishes. You lose the above benefits and instead become restrained until they doff the armor, requiring oh, ten minutes, oh, by oh, the way. Shit. And then the armor regains its benefits after eight hours of not being worn. So hopefully it doesn't get stolen by the local rogue. Uh, Great. You? <laughs> wow. Uh, <laughs> risk-reward there. Uh, right. Intense. Um, you know, something something funny that I think uh, Monty and I mentioned that we're big fans of Fallout. And I think that like we've played around so many times with the idea of making magic items that are basically power armor. Mm. Um, and I, I feel like this this pulls on that same thread. It's like that love of just like, yeah, yeah D&D could use a suit of power armor where you just get inside... <laughs> And, like, you know, power armor also has that thing. Doesn't it blow up if, like, I don't know. I believe it does, yeah. yeah. In Fallout 4, you could, you could blow up the, the fusion cores yeah, uh, yeah. And, and, and seal them. And, and, and yeah, because I think we have one of the magic items for Drakenheim is this, that it might end up be, being a stretch goal if it makes it in, which is a, a, a suit of plate armor that is powered by the crystals from the, from the crater. And you and its energy is directly tied to like you have it, it doesn't regenerate its energy on its own. You actually have to continuously power it, um, which cool. uh, uh, which uh, not I don't think it's quite as powerful as this. This is super powerful. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, like, that's like, why it has the curse. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yeah. And that five percent chance. That, that's a huge. It's a huge chance of failure. Yeah. <laughs> like. You wear this thing, you better be ready to die. <laughs> yeah, take the lucky feet if you have this armor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Roll in a halfling. Yeah, does it come in halfling size? I'll I mean, it's a suit of armor, technically, yeah. I mean... <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, the fact that it can happen on virtually anything, attack roll, ability check, or saving throw, it's like, oh, you rolled a one? Man, that's rough if you're in the air. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Oh. Luckily, you don't take damage from sixty feet or no. If you roll no, a one, it stops and gone. fails. Yeah. Oh no! So you're just you're like Iron Man when he first armor. escapes that cave, just yeah. falling out of the sky. Oh my gosh! Yeah. I would totally oh, love the good. flavor of having to pick up all the the pieces. <laughs> Downtime: two days to find all the components. Uh, I gotta say this though. I mean, I love mechs in general and mech suits. Definitely a win. I think the only item I can think of, well, aside from the artificer archetype, that has a mech suit is in Tasha's the mighty servant of Leko. <laughs> or how do you pronounce it? And that thing is absurd. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that thing was a literal army tank, but in D&D. <laughs> &D. <laughs> um, not to be confused with the element monster variant we covered, that was a literal tank. Yeah. <laughs> that was the an elephant actual tank. The, the, steel the iron elephant. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Alright, so that'll do it for our magic item, the mecha armor from Galder's Gadgeteer. Gazetteer. Um, Kelly, would you like to tell us about our Dungeon Master tip today? Yeah, so uh, the Dungeon Master tip is from the Kobold Guide to Game Mastering, and we're talking about integrating the characters. Now, interestingly enough, this is something that's very important to Monty and yeah. I, uh, which is why we've created personal quests for our book. But integrating the mm -hmm. characters into your campaign is something that I don't think is advertised enough in D&D, and that is super important. W when you're setting up a game story, no matter the system or genre, you want your players to engage with the story you want them to care mm -hmm. you need to integrate their characters into the narrative remember all that communication that we were talking about uh, i guess that's 
I'm reading the quote here. Uh, this is the right. first place where it pays off. Once you have a good idea of who the player characters are, think about what motivates them. Uh, what do they want? Who do they love or hate? What places or things are important to them? The best stories aren't you telling the players what happens, nor are they reacting to whatever whims strike the players. The best stories come about from interplay, and that starts on your end. It doesn't matter if you're using a published adventure or presenting something you created yourself. Look at the overall story that you're going to present and identify the characters, places, events, and things that are important to that story. Once you have those key points in mind, start looking for ways to tie the player characters to them. Monty and I specifically, we actually talk about this, I think, in our How to Run a Session Zero uh, how yeah. to like do better character do. creation. We, we have several videos where we preach this idea that you should always have a conversation with your DM and negotiate the backstory so that you can both come to terms. Don't be... Don't be stuck on the elements you think you want in your backstory if the DM has some ideas to help bring them to life in the context of the campaign. And I also mm -hmm. think that, like, you know, if you go in and you're like, I, I built this character and they, like, if you come up with some crazy idea that makes it sound like they have no reason to go on the adventure, then you're not really doing the part of building a proper player character. And the dungeon master uh, should take the time to talk to their players, each one individually, and say, like, who's your character? What does your character want? And then have some ideas ready to offer as advice to help bring that character into the game world, have them be important in the narrative of the campaign you're about to, to set out on. Um, I Even when I ran something like I ran Out of the Abyss a few years ago, and I read through the entire campaign and looked at the back. There were these options there, but I actually wrote out bigger options and integrated them more and had each player figure out something that they were attached to, a reason why they had even looked at the Underdark in the first place and then ended up captured. Um, but what was the reason for going there in the first place and what was it they hoped to accomplish? And I seeded them throughout the campaign and this helped the narrative build and made it more important that they were there. I love it. Some good stuff. And I really do think it's a good tip because I feel like every time in some campaigns, every time I actually built an, a in-depth character st story and turned it over to the DM, they then introduced it. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. You do realize how my character will interact with this, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, Monty, I, I got to give Monty a lot of credit for doing a phenomenal job since I started Dungeons yeah. and Dragons that every time I've handed him a character he'll he'll I'll just he'll say a few things but he won't give anything away and then halfway through the campaign he'll just start dropping bombs on my character and I'm just like <laughs> I was not ready like in the Red Hand of Doom campaign my family lived in one of those towns and we let it burn and then I found my father on a raft with a bag over his head and I freed him and when I pulled the bag off he was already a zombie and it was just like, I just remember that moment, but it was like fulfilling, like my, I had this like thing going with my character and my character's dad and it was devastating. We like left on bad terms and then Monty killed him and, uh, and it, but it, it was definitely like, it pulled at the heartstrings and I was like, oh my God. And it was those, those little moments that Monty knew what to pull on because we had had those conversations. Yeah, mm, that's awesome. 
Monty, All do you right. have anything to add to that? Just to say that, like, pulling it off takes work, and you have to have conversations with your players constantly, and there has to be trust between DMs and players. You yes. have to know what is going to work for them. Like, mm-hmm. killing a character's father and having them animated as a zombie, I did that, and I, I pulled that narrative with Kelly because I knew that Kelly liked, like, as a person, I know that Kelly likes that kind of drama and is interested in those kind of twists and turns for his character. So, you can't you you still have to exercise care when you're doing these things and make sure that you are not crossing lines because it comes into like what is the fantasy that that player is interested in exploring with their character and as long as you're true like because everyone when you make a character i guarantee you you have the awesome image in your mind of what that character's essence is like their movie trailer moment Mm -hmm. and that is the thing that that is a dungeon master you have to make sure that you keep in mind and that you don't betray right. for a player because the the fantasy that that player has of the character is is something that they 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 hold in their hearts mm. absolutely and that's something that oh, I sound like an asshole some dms just don't do right and they end up pushing a player away instead of bringing them more into the story um, yeah. mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's important that you, you talk about, have those conversations. I mean, a lot can go on in like Shots in Zero, but there should be continuous conversations throughout a, a long, cam- a, a big campaign as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, in a current campaign, one of our players is playing a grandmother who has 10 children and several grandchildren. And I had a conversation with her and said, like, if I were to do something involving your family, would you be okay with that in in terms of character? She's like, yes, but please don't kill anybody. And I'm going to respect that. I wanted to create an interesting scenario, but she said, I I don't know if that's where I want to take this character at this stage, so let's not have any of them die. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And there's a lot of other things you can do to to pull that character in without death. Um, I, I ran a campaign once where... The uh, a player had something similar. I don't want my family to die. Um, and so the different approach was there was uh, like a rift that was created uh, in the area and the, it slowly expanded till it swallowed the town. Well, what it did is it pulled everything into the Shadowfell. And so yeah. they had to venture into the Shadowfell to rescue their family. It wasn't that their family was just dead, but they were running, hiding from all the shit that's in the Shadowfell. Yeah. Um, and so... Yeah, if you want to do a super real political conflict that involves a character's family, have two characters' family members have wildly different political opinions oh, that yeah. feed into so, the conflict of your of your story. Great way to put it. Also, really? this while this is a DM tip, it is also extremely important that the players must be uh, willing to make these backgrounds and willing yeah. to uh be malleable for the dms to create these moments because yeah. if you are the type of player who is so rigid to sit there and be like no nah, it has to happen this way I, I won't accept anything else well then i'm sorry dude but like i'm gonna go focus uh, on somebody else that's more yeah fun. <laughs> like it's <laughs> like you it is you still have responsibilities as a player there is some form of commitment that is mm-hmm. that yeah. needs to be made as a player you, this is a group effort at the end of the day mm-hmm. and a lot of not all the responsibility can be put onto the DM. It also relies on the player as well to kind of feed into the story, to present agency, and to actively um, 
just be engaged with the story and trying to create these connections that the player, or I'm sorry, that the DM can then mm-hmm. reach out to and actively do something with. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I do agree with the fact though, that the players do play a role with that. Cause like the very first thing I thought about though, was like, I was playing in the masterminds, which is a superhero RPG. And my character came from a multiverse where due to the actions that happened there, he was very biased against people with superpowers. And as I say, everybody else in the group has superpowers, so that was an interesting character to, about to work with. Right. Yeah. Alright, uh, that'll do it for our Dungeon Master tip of the podcast, Integrate the Characters. Uh, I'm gonna make this one pretty short and sweet. Our player tip of the podcast is... Don't, don't be, be a, a dick. dick! And you can oh, avoid yeah. dickitude by experimenting with a shifty sail. I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you guys about that. Yeah, I was gonna say, <laughs> oh, yeah, <laughs> not written in there. That. Uh... At higher levels in Dungeons & Dragons, let's be honest, money isn't usually an issue. Uh, As characters begin to raid lost tombs and take dangerous quests and even loot corpses from their victims or their allies. (laughs) 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 But in the early life of being an adventure can be tough, especially on the coin pouch. Um, So while there are near limitless ways to make money, some require a little extra work. Well, with this strategy, you can earn money indefinitely, so long as you travel regularly. So, in this example, one of the most valuable resources in fantasy is cattle and other beasts of burden, such as horses and oxen. Well, when the rogue gets together with the druid and decides to pull off a quick scam, they walk into a small (laughs) village town. He's carrying old Bessie here. Hey, uh, excuse me, sir. I, uh, I'm looking to sell old Bessie here. She's got a lot of, uh, a lot of life left still in her. And, uh, I was wondering if, uh, you'd be willing to take her off my hands. Um, I hear the going rate is 50 gold a piece, but I'm willing to let you out for about 35. Mostly because my dog won't stop barking. Uh, mostly because honestly, I got somewhere else to be and she's just, uh, slower than I need. You think you can help me out? Of course you can. Because let's be honest, how is a farmer going to know that it's a druid shapeshift? So instead, the druid gets sold off, especially with a little bit of deception or persuasion. Boom, they're out the day. The following night, poof, Bessie disappears. On to the next town. Rinse and repeat. What do you guys think? Honest is a youth horse salesman. <laughs> this is a great little scheme. I uh, I love that uh, that you just travel from town to town doing it. like it gives me um, for like I think of the Brothers Grimm movie where they travel mm-hmm. from town to town faking ghost stories, um, and like I don't know. I, I think I as a DM would have. Uh, if I was a DM and my players were doing this over and over again, I would then orchestrate a situation eventually where they sell the cow off and then they bring the cow in to be slaughtered. And now the players need to deal with that. Uh, But that would happen after like five or six of these. It's like, now that you think you have the lay of the land and you know how to run the scheme perfectly, then you throw a wrench in the gear and mess with them. And it's like, all right, thanks for the cow. And then they bring it right in. They start picking up their big butcher knives and stuff. And they can go all sorts of fun places after that. And now you have a rescue mission for the Druid. Well, And what's cool is now, now that they, if they change back the Druid to get away, 
that becomes uh, obvious what they did. So now you end up walking into every uh, little village and there's posters. Don't trust these bastards are going to try to scam you, you know? Yeah, yeah. Or like maybe they'll hire some people who can who have like true sight somehow or something like, hey, uh, you know, I <laughs> something strange about that, that cow. <laughs> what do you think, Monty? Uh, I think that you could also pull this off with polymorph. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I could totally see that. I feel, uh, uh, if you get to those higher levels, that's definitely... Because that's a fourth level spell, right? Mm-hmm. I think okay. so, yeah. Okay. I'll just, like, but capture wonder... all, all of the goblins and then just turn them into cows at each town. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could, you could capture a goblin polymorph them into a because a goblin's challenge rating one quarter and a cow is challenge rating one quarter so you that can capture so a goblin funny. polymorph it into a cow sell the goblin cow it turns back into a goblin then the farmer thinks the goblin ate the cow <laughs> nice or spring brought up of a post earlier when you use like uh, summon summon animals and you summon cows which are technically fake creatures only for an hour <laughs> I'd like to sell Man, my these, herd. These, these <laughs> poor farmers. Yeah. No wonder they're poor. Nothing they got is real, right? Real animals. All right, <laughs> I think that'll do it for our player tip of the podcast. Don't, Don't be, be a, a dick. dick, and you can avoid dickitude <laughs> by practicing a shifty sale. Although you can now, say the before... exact opposite of not being a dick. <laughs> <laughs> That's totally a dick. Uh, before we close out today, we have one more gift to give away. Compliments of our generous sponsors. And today we are giving away Dunwood. Demons, Druids in Danger by Joe Resso. This Forgotten Realms sourcebook provides nine new adventures and plenty of background lore to start adventuring. And our other forest once known as Rollinswood. Even if you're not interested in the Forgotten Realms, the adventure contains within it can be easily adapted to other campaign settings. I call it a win. And yep. today's winner is Evil Monkey 9 <music> Didn't win? Not a problem. Head on over to crackhenry.com and not only can you subscribe for your chance to win, but you can check out our free goodies that we give away <laughs> every week. Wonderful. Yes. Uh, Emo monkey. <laughs> before we close out, Monty, uh, Kelly, um, thank you guys so much for joining us. Do you guys want to give yourselves one more plug before we close out here? Yeah, thank you so much. We are the Dungeon Dudes on YouTube. You can hit us up at youtube.com slash Dungeon Dudes. And you can also find our Dungeons of Drakenheim Kickstarter uh, by uh, checking us out on Kickstarter or at drakenheim.com. And the Kickstarter goes live tomorrow, so be sure to check in and get your copy. And uh, yeah, also make sure if you are interested in the book, you can check out our live stream, which airs live on Tuesday nights, where we play through um, our campaign world that we have created, which you'll see in the book. And uh, yeah, the videos also go up on YouTube on Friday as well. And you can catch up with all of the Dungeons of Drakenheim, Shadows of Drakenheim, and our regular YouTube content as well. It's also available on podcasts. The, uh, the two campaigns are available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. All right. Cool. Can't, can't recommend these guys enough. <laughs> Thank you for the Thank high you. recommendation. <laughs> yes, my my voice has so much weight behind it. 
<laughs> Some random guy on the internet with a camera and a mic. Uh, isn't that all of us? I was gonna say, isn't that all of us? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. It does look like you might have some uh, extra backers in chat, so I'm super excited for that. Amazing, uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. If you enjoyed the show, uh, oh, please join us on our next episode. Uh, we'll be discussing Galder's gadget gazetteer with the popular YouTuber Zipper on Disney. Yep. Um, awesome. In two weeks, because we're taking the Fourth of July Independence oh, Day yeah. off. We're, Boom. Yeah. Yeah, uh, sorry. So we're, we're super excited for that. We're going to be there next week. If you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, please visit us at CritAcademy.com. Follow us on social media and leave or leave us a review on iTunes. If you don't know, leaving a review for any content creator is single-handedly one of the best things you can do because no matter how awesome I think I am or I tell you, it means so much more coming from somebody else. Because <laughs> I'm a little biased. <laughs> uh, that'll do it for the show today. I am your host, Justin. And I was Monty Martin. And I'm Kelly McLaughlin. Uh, we were the Dungeon Dudes. <laughs> we are the Dungeon Dudes on, uh, as your guests this week. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm your co-host, Austin. And I'm your co-host, Dan. Thanks for listening. Keep your blades sharp and spells prepared, heroes. <laughs> <laughs>